through the book of Jonah. And so I'm going to give a little recap because you guys haven't been here for chapter 1 and 2. Although I found this Bible case in here today. It says Jonah's Tale. And I have to tell you that here, what they would call the end of Jonah's Tale is the end of chapter 2. So there's still two chapters of the book that happen after that, which is where we are tonight. So fifth graders, here's your recap, okay? It's just right on here. I'll explain it to you instead of with the pictures. So some of you have heard it. You've probably heard it many times. Jonah, is, uh, Jonah was a prophet, which meant that God would... Yeah, exactly. Ooh, ooh. We listened to this song the first week that just got stuck in everyone's head. It means that he was a man that God spoke messages to other people through, usually to groups of people, sometimes to individuals. And so God would give him a message, and then he would go speak it to the people. And so God has told Jonah that he needs to visit this city called Nineveh because they're acting in evil ways, and he has a message for them. But Jonah is afraid, and we're going to get more into next week, you can listen to it online, fifth graders, don't worry, of the real reason for his fear, the real root, but either way, he was afraid and he ran from God instead of obeying him. And he got on a ship and this huge storm happened, and after, they figured out that it was Jonah was the reason why God was putting this storm on them. They threw Jonah over the side of the boat, and God saved Jonah by providing this great fish to swallow him. Some of you have heard of it called a whale. It was just a great fish. We don't know if it was a whale. He stayed there and lived in that fish for three days. And in those three days, we don't know all that went through Jonah's mind, what it looked like, or how it smelled, but I can't imagine it was very good. But we get this prayer that Jonah prayed, which you guys talked about last week, acknowledging who God is, that it was God that saved him. And even though Jonah didn't know when or if he would be spit out of this fish, in the darkest place he was praising God and giving thanks to him, acknowledging who God was. And God had the fish spit him out onto the land. So that's the, that's the end of chapter 2. That's where we pick up where we left off. The whole rest of the book is usually summarized as, so Jonah decided then to go to Nineveh and follow God's plan, and the whole city of Nineveh repented. The end. And that's like how it's summarized. But there's so much more to the story. Jonah is spit on the beach, I'm sure smelling incredibly disgusting, and he's covered in who knows what, slime. We'll just call it that. And at this point, I'm sure he's somewhat blinded by the sun because he's been in this dark place. And he's trying to process what just happened, and now I'm on the beach, and that's where we come to him here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Do these verses sound familiar at all? Because they should. Some of you, it's been a couple weeks, I understand. But it is a verse, look at the first two verses of chapter 1. Well, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It is basically word for word the same verses that are found at the beginning. And so it's almost like the book is starting over. It's like a fresh start. God hasn't changed his message. He hasn't made it more compelling to Jonah, like, okay, now are you going to do it? Let's do it. Let's try this again. He says the exact same thing, believing that Jonah would obey. Same place, same message. Are you going to obey this time? What God provides for Jonah in that moment isn't a, 
let's rewind the tape and pretend that never happened, but it is almost a complete fresh start, a clean slate, learning from his past but not being defined by it or being held captive to it or our God continue reminding him, remember the fish? Remember the fish? Yeah, the fish, remember it? Or holding him captive to it. The difference is Jonah's response. Because in chapter 1 it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And in chapter 3 it says, verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I wonder in this moment if Jonah even hesitated for a second. If he was like, okay, I was afraid the first time, I'm still afraid. I wonder if he thought, how can I get out of this? I tried last time a ship and that didn't really work out, but is there a different way that I can get out of this? I know that he knows that obedience was the way to go and that God is who he says he is, but I wonder if his human self still fought that a little bit. Now, there has to be a piece of him, though, that knows what disobedient, what his disobedience brought, and surely he hasn't forgotten the fish. <laughs> this week I started to drink a new kind of tea, I'm not like a huge tea drinker, but I started to drink a new kind. And there's this quote on the little piece of paper that's attached to the string that's attached to the tea bag. I don't know what the official name of it's called, that little piece of paper. And there was a quote on it from Frank Zappa. Tell me if you know who that is. That's what I thought. He was a musician from the 60s and 70s, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) and it said, without deviation, progress is not possible. Without, and you're like, what does that mean? Without deviation, progress is not possible. It means without change, we can't move forward. Without change, there isn't going to be a different outcome. So if we aren't satisfied with our lives, yet we keep doing the same things, hanging out with the same people, making the same decisions, we are going to, how can we expect life to be any different? Right? I think it's like the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Jonah took the new path. He remembered, okay, last time this happened, so let me try try actually obeying God and see what happens. And God showed grace and mercy to Jonah and gave him another shot. Continuing verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, meaning it was really big. Three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Nineveh, as we said before, is a big city. They actually called it like a God-sized city, meaning it was a big one. Okay, there was, well, today it wouldn't be compared to like a really big city. There was like 120,000 people. But back then, that was a really big city. And he's supposed to share this message with 120,000 people, right? So it would have been quite a journey for Jonah to go through the city. And he's given like the shortest sermon or shortest command or shortest whatever that we see through the Bible. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the original language, which is Hebrew, it was five words long. That's all he was given to tell the people. I think sometimes we think we have to have all these flowery words when we're telling someone about God. When God says, go talk to that person. Go talk to that person about me. Go tell that person. Go speak words. And you're like, oh, I have no idea what to say. I'm supposed to to know all the words and have all the flowery words. 
This was by no means any flowery sermon or any flowery anything, right? If I showed up and I said those words anywhere, people would be like, man, she really needs to like up her game. Like if I just came and said that, you would be like, excuse me, right? I think some people would even say, you know what, can you just soften that a little bit? Like I think you're being a little harsh, right? But this message was from God, was to make sure that they knew how he felt about the way that they were living, that he cared. Just spilling, it's all good. It's all good. That their actions that poured from their hearts were not okay, and that he's not going to put up with their way of living. He's not going to say, it's okay. It's okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. The VeggieTales version, which I know I kind of ripped on the VeggieTales version the first week, their, his, their version of this sermon was actually only two words. And you know what they were? Stop it. <laughs> Which I love. I love that. He was just like, stop it. Just stop it. Stop doing the things you're doing. Stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop hurting one another. In the movie, they actually, yeah, exactly, slapping each other with fish. Okay. I know you're excited. Appreciate it. Yeah, slapping each other with fish. Stop hurting one another. Just stop it. Stop what you're doing. Stop this evil life that you're living. Stop it. And whatever happened or how he said it or what, what God had done mixed with what they knew of God and Jonah's God, they did. They stopped it. They believed what Jonah was saying. They believed God. And it says that they called for a fast, which means that they weren't going to eat. And they put on sackcloth, which was like, would be like the equivalent of us wearing like a burlap bag, okay? It was like really rough goat's fur that like was not, this was like really uncomfortable, okay? It was like itchy and not enjoyable. And they would wear it as symbolizing, symbolizing, the rejection of earthly comforts and pleasure, they were denying themselves the pleasures of life, and they would put themselves in this lowly place to show their remorse, to show how sorry they were, but on, on this deep level, to show that they, would, that they would not hurt themselves, but put themselves through a torturous situation, that it wasn't just a ruse to get God to change his mind. Because sometimes I read that, and I'm like, they're just putting on a show. They're just trying to manipulate God so that he'll respond, and then he won't hurt them, or he won't wipe them out. All the people of Nineveh, and it says, it shows that they were truly remorseful, and we're going to find out a little more how we know that too. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation. He published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And they let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Even the king, the king wasn't like, I'm not so sure about this, or show me some more evidence that this is going to happen. Even the king, who had the highest position of authority, humbled himself. He knew that action needed to take place, that there was maybe still a chance that God would relent from their destruction if they truly changed if they truly changed and repented from their way of life. So he sent this citywide fast. You guys, even the animals 
were to not eat. Did you catch that? I guess that was pretty normal back then, but that seems a little bit extreme. But that's what they were to do, even the animals. And even the animals were to wear the sackcloth. I'm just picturing like a cow wearing goat's hair or something. I know. But that was, that was like the extent. They took seriously the words of God because these forms of repentance, this was how the, the Israelites, this was how they were to repent. Now, this wasn't how the Ninevites would usually have repented. I don't know what their normal whatever would have looked like. But they were repenting in a way that God would have asked them to. And in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It shows us a few things. That God decided not to destroy the city shows us a few things. One is that God's desire and plan is truly for everyone to be saved. That's what he wants. I think sometimes we think he, like, is this taskmaster he's out to destroy and just some people he loves and the rest he's just like I don't like you I don't like you you know like his true plan and love is to is for everyone now not everyone chooses that and not everyone says yes to him but he does desire mercy for everyone second Peter 3 9 says God does not want anyone to perish but wants all to come to repentance verse or the second thing that it shows us is that at least some of them, their repentance was real. Because God knows the heart. God knows when our words are just just that, words. He knows when we're just saying things. He knows if we're trying to manipulate him. So there had to have been at least a few people, even though for us it looks like, yeah, they're really just trying to manipulate God. There had to have been some that were true because God decided not to destroy them. And so their repentance was real. And the last thing that it shows us is that, you guys, who God is does not change. God is unchanging in who he is. But he does respond to his creation. Prayer does have an impact. When we repent, it does have an impact. Some people struggle with this because they're like, well, God changed his mind. Well, God wasn't on this path of destruction, and there's, everyone's like, but wait, we really like truly remorse, and he's like, too bad, too late, you're gone, okay? There comes a point on Judgment Day at the end where it's going to be too late. But our prayers and the things that we do, God responds to his creation. He isn't just a robot playing out his plan, and we're along for the ride. Our prayers have power. The things we do affect God. There's a lot of parallels that we find in this story that it seems the author wants to point out. And one is between the sailors on the boat and the city of Nineveh, okay? The sailors on the boat and the city of Nineveh. At one point or another throughout the story, each of them calls on God to relent. The sailors, it was, please, like, stop this storm from happening. What do we need to do? We, like, stop it from happening. And the Ninevites we saw tonight. And at one point or another through the story, God did save them. God did relent. The sailors from the storm and Jonah from drowning, or, and the people of Nineveh from their destruction. Did either of these deserve it, deserve being saved more than the other? Did either of them deserve being saved? The sailors, they didn't do anything wrong, essentially, right? They just happened to have this guy on their ship who did, <laughs> 
The storm wasn't because of what they did, and so the sailors didn't do anything, so they seemed to deserve it. The Ninevites, though, they had so much evil in them and their actions. Did they truly deserve to be saved? We're going to continue this conversation next week. Sorry, fifth graders. But I want to at least begin to think about the way that God sees us and sees people, the, God way, the way God feels about us. That none of them, including Jonah, when he was saved from falling to his death in the water, when he was saved by the fish from God, none of them, not even the sailors on the ship, deserved God saving them. None of us. None of them and none of us. Even those of us who think we do the least wrong, right? Well, compared to that person, I'm doing pretty good. So God should save me. God should love me. Or I behave better than that person, at those people at school. I try to obey my parents. The reality is that none of us as humans, and you've heard me say it before, none of us deserve to be saved. And so you're right. The Ninevites did not deserve for God to save them. Jonah did not deserve for God to put the fish to swallow him. And the sailors, just by being human, did not deserve anything from God. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve forgiveness. But yet, God sent his son, Jesus. But yet, God still shows his mercy. You guys, repentance, we see it throughout here, is at the core of the salvation of the Ninevites. And it was interesting because Jesus actually talks about the Ninevites and Jonah, okay? If, you're, if you want to flip there quickly, otherwise you want to just read it, it's in Matthew, or you want to just listen to me, it's in Matthew 12, and it's actually in Luke 2. Jesus talks about the Ninevites. He talks about this moment. He gave this message. Because when Jesus walked on the earth, he would tell of salvation, right? He would tell that he was he was Jesus, that he was the Son of God. He would tell people to repent, and he would share with them the only truth that they needed to know, right? And the real truth. And what was the response of at most of them? Prove it. Show me a sign. Show me something. I don't believe you. I need a little bit more. Give me a little more evidence. And Matthew 12, 38 starts by saying, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, the Pharisees were like the high religious leaders, answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, Jesus speaking, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen to this. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. They didn't ask for a sign. They didn't ask for further things. And he says, someday the people of Jonah are going to look at you and condemn you because you idiot! You asked for a sign. You had Jesus standing in front of you. We didn't have that. We just had this disobedient prophet who wasn't really doing any good. Jonah gave this message, and the people of Nineveh took it seriously and repented. 
Repent and do it right away. Do it at first thought, not waiting for a sign. You know the truth. What are you waiting for? I've said that word a lot tonight, repent. But I want to talk for a couple minutes about what it is. Is it simply saying, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. How many of you said, I'm sorry, simply because you felt like you had to? Right? Okay, we've sometimes said that. Um, or because, how many of you say sorry all the time? I have, whenever I'm around people like that, all of you, I'm like, what are you sorry for? Why are you saying sorry? You didn't do anything wrong. But it's just like our natural tendency. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Repentance is not just saying the words, I'm sorry. Repentance includes remorse. It includes a realization of what you've done and the reality of what you've done or what sin is and the effect that it has. It's deeper than just our heads or our words saying, I'm sorry. We could all just say it right now, I'm sorry, right? It's in our hearts. Have you ever heard your parents say, I don't want sorry, I want change? Have you ever heard that? Yep. I don't want sorry, I want change. You know what that is? That's repentance. I don't want sorry, I want repentance. I want you to show me that you actually, truly are remorseful for what you've done. There is a part of the word that actually means to change one's mind. Repentance. It means to change your mind about, uh, which means to change the way you're thinking about things. To thinking that it was okay, to realizing the effect that it has or the reality that it is. To realizing the why behind why your parents want you to make your bed or clean your room or all these things. And you become remorseful then for when the times that you didn't because you know the reality of the situation to change one's mind. And other, other times I've heard it talked about it actually means to turn from. To repent actually means to like, I was going this direction, I'm doing this, I'm living this life, but I repent and I turn from. It's possible to keep living this life and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then there's no change. I don't want sorry, I want change. Timothy Keller wrote a book um, called Prodigal God. And in it he writes, when we think of repentance, we think, If you want to get right with God, you get out your list of sins and you tell him how sorry you are about each of them. But repentance is not less than that. It is much more. Because the list approach isn't sufficient to address the heart issue. (laughs) The list approach doesn't get to the depth of the matter. The why. The understanding that what I am, why what I am doing or what it, how it's affecting you or God. And so, yes, to say I'm sorry is a part of it. Those are good words when you actually have the remorse behind it. It's how you feel about that sin. It's deeper, the knowing. It's knowing also that you and I are all on the same level when it comes to sin and this way that God views sin and that we all need forgiveness. And that by sending his son to die on the cross was the only way that you and I can have life and be forgiven. And then to change our course of action, to change our heart and mindset to follow him. His mercy and grace is available to those of us who do receive that and who truly repent. And he wants that for every single person in the world. 
But in order to receive it, repentance is necessary, and the Ninevites we see repented. Timothy Keller also notes, it's not the repentance that causes the Father's love, but rather the reverse. The Father's lavish lavish affection makes the Son's expression of remorse easier. When we know God's love, we're more ready to be remorseful because we know, again, the effect that it has on him. We don't repent in order to receive God's love, in order to get it. It's already there, and it is his kindness, if you know the the song. (laughs) It's your kindness, Lord, that leads me to repentance. That's why we repent. The more we know God, the more we will desire to repent of the sin that so easily gets to us. I wish that we could go on to chapter 4 because there's just so much there that you guys were not even... We could just stay here for the rest of the night and keep going. No? No, we won't do that. But I do want us to continue to be challenged by the things that are happening in this story and that this story is so much bigger than just a man who got swallowed by a great fish. Not a whale. (laughs) And the repentance that we are all called to and the mercy that God showed Jonah when he surely didn't deserve it. Let's pray, and you guys can head to your small groups. Lord, we thank you again for Jonah, um, even though sometimes we just look at him and we're like, what were you doing? But in so many ways, we can see ourselves in him. And we definitely, as we get to next week, we'll see some of that too. Thank you for his story. But Lord, thank you so much for you and your word and the way that we can learn more about who you are um, through it. Thank you that the fifth graders were able to be with us tonight. We're excited about having them here in the fall. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go to your small groups, fifth graders. You guys can head back to your room.